Jesus at the center of it all. Jesus at the center of it all. From beginning to the end, it will always be, it's always been you, Jesus. Jesus. Jesus at the center of it all. Jesus at the center of it all. From beginning to it will always be, it's always been you, Jesus, Jesus, nothing else matters, and nothing in this world will do, Jesus, you're the center of my life. Jesus, be the center of my life. From beginning to the end, it will always be, it's always been you, Jesus. Jesus, nothing else matters. center everything revolves around you Jesus you and nothing else matters nothing in this world will do Jesus you're the It's all about you. Yes, it's all about you. From my heart to the heavens, Jesus be the center. It's all about you. Yes, it's all about you. From my heart to the heavens, Jesus be the center. It's all about you. Yes, it's all about you. From my heart to the heavens, Jesus be the center. It's all about you. Yes, it's all about you. And nothing else matters. And nothing in this world will do. Jesus, you're the center. 
Jesus, you at the center of it all, at the center of it all, at the center of it all. Well, good morning, everyone. And welcome to Fusion this morning, and also welcome to those who are joining us online today, too. My name is Jackie, and I'm really grateful to be here and to worship with all of you this morning. Um, I'd like to invite you now to stand and greet each other with the peace of Christ. But I trust in your unfailing love. My heart rejoices in your salvation. I will sing the Lord's praise, for he has been good to me. Mm, let's sing his praises together. All of the earth makes straight a highway, a path for the Lord. Jesus is coming soon. Call back the sinner, wake up the saints. Let every nation shout of your fame. Jesus is coming soon Like a bride waiting for her groom We'll be church ready for you Every heart longing for our King We sing even so come Lord Jesus come justice all will be new your name forever faithful and true jesus is coming soon like a bride waiting for her groom we'll be a church ready for you Jesus, come. Lord Jesus, come. 
Johnson. This is Meredith Steenweig. I recognize so many of your faces. It is so good to be here this morning. I'm a GEMS leader. I know what I'm going to call you now. Meredith is my administrative assistant. I lost the words for those things at the last service. Um, I, with several other leaders, we have a few in this room here, uh, lead GEMS on Wednesday nights, and Meredith keeps everybody well informed, and she keeps me on a schedule, which is delightful. We're here this morning um, with a big ask, actually. Uh, we had 46 young ladies show up Wednesday night for GEMS, uh, and we have one, two, three, four, five full-time leaders and a smattering of helpers. Um, we could use a couple more helpers with our GEMS. Uh, our first and second grade classrooms are just bursting with joy and energetic little, <laughs> little ladies and just having an extra set of hands in there to help ladies spell words on their badges and read their badges. We've got emerging readers in first grade. Um, just having someone, an extra set of hands to support our leaders would be a beautiful thing. 
in cadets, we have the same thing. We have over 40 young men coming on Wednesday nights, and we have how many consistent leaders with over 40? Yes, five, five guys, and those are a rambunctiously delightful group of boys. <laughs> we could use some extra sets of hands in there as well. Um, and in our Discovery Kids, we have 26. Um, Two, so 13 verse one people, that's not fair. Um, so uh, we're here today just to ask, if God is pricking your heart, or even if you didn't even think about it at all before our community night started, if God's pricking your heart now, just to spend some time with our young people on Wednesday nights, we are gonna welcome you with open arms. Um, just to have this 90 minutes from 6 p.m. until 7.30 p.m. on Wednesday nights after community night dinner uh, to pour God's truth into these kids, um, really just talking about, to the girls and the guys um, about who God is and who he created them to be, um, honestly, is one of the most uplifting gifts for me because it reminds me who God created me to be and what my purpose is here and what he's called me to do um, in a world today where you get a lot of feedback from Facebook, Instagram, your peers, um, other social pressures about who you should be and how you should get there. Um, I think these Wednesday nights are just critical for our young ladies and our young men and our kids uh, to remind themselves the truth about who God created them to be and why he created them that way. Um, so if you're thinking at all that, huh, there's no way I'm equipped to do this, trust me, I'm the most ill-equipped person to teach children, but I have so much fun with kids on Wednesday nights and frankly, the Holy Spirit will equip you to sit with these kids and speak truth to them. Uh, Meredith and I were just talking uh, over the summer while we were planning about, you know, how long is this season? I think we all as young moms love using that word now. How long is this season going to last us? You know, she's got young boys who are going through the cadet program. My girls are in third and fifth grade. So do I have two years left in this program? And then I move on to the next season of life. Um, but I had the privilege to go to the GEMS conference in July with women from all over the U.S. who lead gems at their church or in their homes um, independently. And you guys, there were several ladies, and when I say several, like at least six ladies who had been leading gems in their church or out of their homes for 50 years. They do not have children of their own in this program anymore, but they feel called by God um, to lead these girls and speak God's truth to them. So I just want to encourage you, if you're, if you're an aunt, a cousin, a funkle, a grandpa, um, like just please join us on Wednesday nights. And furthermore, come eat with us on Wednesday nights. Community night is a riot. I grew up at community night when we used to have basketball hoops on either side of this I call it the gym, and people are like, no, Nicole, it's not the gym, it's not the great room anymore. Um, but it was so much fun. I mean, so many of your faces I recognize growing up here, um, fellowshipping with you on Wednesday nights and sharing a meal together. So come get to know these kids over a meal that we're ministering to on Wednesday nights, and then stay and minister to them with us. We would love to have you here. So prayerfully consider that. You can reach out to gems at hardawake.com or cadets at hardawake.com if you're thinking that this is something that God is pricking your heart with. Thank you so much.
that, sir. Here you go. Thank you, Meredith and um, Nicole. Um, I could ask for a show of hands of anybody who wants to help them out, but I won't put that pressure on you. Um, let me ask the, um, the children now. We'll have our children's blessing. So I'll ask if the children will gather with April over there on um, stage left. There you go, and we'll do our blessing here. Look at all that energy. Okay, do we have the, the slide? Okay, there we go. Okay, so the adults, um, the Lord be with you and the children and also with you. Um, as always, we want to do this with a high degree of excitement and energy and enthusiasm for our children, right? Okay, are you ready? One, two, three. The Lord be with you. Go for it. Amen. Thank you. One of the great privileges we have as a community is to unite our hearts in prayer. We'll do that by beginning with a reading from Psalm 96. Let us pray. Sing to the Lord a new song. Sing to the Lord all the earth. Sing to the Lord. Praise his name. Proclaim his salvation day after day. Declare his glory among the nations, his marvelous deeds among all peoples. Gracious Father, we pause. We pause right now to thank you for your grace and for your mercy. We pause in the midst of our busy schedules to give thanks to you for caring for us and for sustaining us. We thank you, Lord, for our young people. As they just invoked a blessing upon us and the Lord be with us. We thank the Lord for our young people as we hear about the young ladies and the young men and the children involved in our Wednesday night programs. And Lord, in this community, we are called to care well for our children and remind us of that. Not just our elementary school children, but our middle school young people, our high school young people. We pray that you would move in our hearts in a way that encourages us to walk alongside with them, to care well for them, to be brave enough to ask them, how are they doing spiritually? What are they wrestling with? How might we pray for them? Lord, give us a heart for our young people, a heart motivated by your grace and your mercy out of a deep love and commitment to them. And Lord, as a community, we pray for our brothers and sisters right now who are in Greystones, Ireland. We pray that their trip there was a safe one. We pray that you bless their time there. We pray that they might learn more about our, their own Christian heritage and their background that they might learn more about each other's spiritual journey, and that they might encourage each other and build each other up. But we also pray for the church in Greystones where our brother Luke Carrig serves. We pray that their presence would be a blessing to them, that it would encourage them, and that our people might be encouraged by seeing how God is at work in the Greystones community through Luke and the church there. As a community, Lord, we remember those in our midst, those who are struggling with health issues, those who 
are struggling with mental health issues, those that are struggling with ongoing physical issues, might we be a community that surrounds those people and walks with them, that cares for them, that supports them, that makes sure that they never feel like they're alone in their struggle, but there is always someone there to walk alongside and if necessary, to limp with them. We pray for our brothers and sisters in Christ and those in Florida. We pray for those devastated by the recent hurricane that traversed Florida and into South Carolina and North Carolina. We pray for our brothers and sisters in Christ there in their churches as they minister to their communities. Might you uphold them. Might you empower them. Might you give them strength. Might you keep them from being weary. And Lord, as a community, it's sometimes difficult to know how to pray for what's going on in the world. The ongoing conflict in Ukraine never seems to quite go away. It seems to be a conflict filled with twists and turns that are expected and unexpected. And yet, Lord, we pray that you might work in that region to bring peace, that you might bring an end to that conflict. And so, Lord, as a community, we pray that you would help us to understand and to wrestle with what it means to find our identity in Christ. That you might, through your spirit, work in us and continue to form us into the image of Christ. And that we might encourage and build each other up as we strive to follow Christ faithfully, not only here within this community, but in all the areas of our lives. And so, Lord, we thank you. We thank you for teaching us to pray. Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done, on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. Amen. Thank you all very much. And now Pastor JB. Thanks, Darwin. And uh, FYI, um, if you were wondering what Funkel is, I believe it's Fun Uncle. Did okay? Anyone? Right? It's Fun Uncle. Okay. I'm totally a Fun Uncle. I think maybe I don't know. I'm Pastor JB. Good morning. Good morning. Good morning. It is good to be together this morning. In fact, it's so good. Uh, let's hang out again this afternoon. Uh, we have a picnic lunch at Tunnel Park from noon till 2 p.m. And you are all invited to join. No need to bring any food or anything. Just bring your appetite and uh, be ready to enjoy some time uh, with members from across campus. It's uh, all three worshiping communities will be meeting at Tunnel Park. Look at that. There's, oh, also, yeah, there's a ceremonial mortgage burning ceremony at 1245. So you're not going to want to miss that. Uh, this space that we're in, a second mortgage was taken out and we've paid down that mortgage in its entirety. So that's something to celebrate. But a couple of other, one other thing I want to just point out, um, quick You've been getting some emails from me, and if you're not on the email list, uh, feel free to send an email out to the office, and we'll get you on the email list. But the last couple weeks, kind of just introducing kind of a connection vision, a vision for deeper connections within our community. And in that, we've identified different layers of connection, uh, deeper layers of connection. So the first one is shared names, shared experiences, shared life. And our hope is by identifying those different layers of connection that we want our people to to feel connected with this community, right? We want to be a family, right? Amen? 
And uh, so the first kind of layer of that is, is shared names. And, uh, and as we were just kind of wrestling with shared names, because there's, there's something powerful about going to a place and knowing people by name, using their names. There's something about going to a place and them knowing and using your name. And so in, in that spirit, uh, in a couple weeks, so not next week, but the week after, we are going to have name tags and just asking you to participate with that. Uh, just stick on name tags. Everyone's going to have the same name tag, whether you're a member all your life or you're a first-time visitor. Just write your name on that name tag. Put it right there on your shirt. Um, we'll have options if you don't want that adhesive getting on your nice clothes. I don't have that problem because I don't have that nice of clothes. But we're going to have little name tags, and we're just and, and, and that's going to be a way to learn one another's names. You with me? Because there's something powerful in that. I got some kind of Cheers theme song going through my head. And now you do too. Hey, let's jump into our series. Uh, we are we are enter we just finished last week the book of Genesis. We are in a series called the Story. Uh, if you want a copy of those, sign up over in the in the narthex. We'll order a few more copies if we need. But hopefully, most people got a copy of the story. It is uh, the narrative of Scripture compiled into a nice, concise book with some summaries. Uh, in that last week, we finished the book of Genesis, and uh, we remembered last week that God established His covenant with a family, a chosen family, a nation, the descendants of Abraham. Isaac and Jacob, which would become the nation of Israel. And today we jump into the book of Exodus. Uh, Exodus picks up the story in Egypt, uh, where they've been living in Egypt for over 400 years. Uh, many of those years uh, were, were years of peace, because Joseph was one who was respected, and his descendants were respected and treated well. But pretty soon, the Pharaoh forgot about. A new Pharaoh came and who didn't know Joseph and things got really, really, really bad for the people of God in, in, in Egypt. And so Exodus, as its name suggests, shares the, the story of their deliverance out of Egypt. And really the book of Exodus is broken up into two primary movements. Chapters 1 through 18 is the story of the Exodus, the story of God's people being delivered out of Egypt. And then the second movement from uh, chapters 19 through 40 is really the people of God coming to Mount Sinai and receiving the covenant, receiving the law of the Lord on the mountain of the Lord. And those are really the two primary movements of the book of Exodus. To set up our passage this morning, I don't know, do we have a, do we have a little graphic? There it is. There's kind of the summary of Exodus, uh, chapters 1 through 18. Uh, this morning we are entering into the, the first part of Exodus in chapter 6. So to kind of just catch you up how we get to chapter 6, Moses, born a Hebrew, uh, but Pharaoh is, is killing the Hebrew baby boys, atrocious, uh, but he is raised as an Egyptian. You remember that story with the, the, the bed of reeds uh, in the, placed in the, in the water? He flees uh, spends 40 years in Egypt, kills an Egyptian, flees Egypt, spends 40 years in Midian in the desert. Uh, and then in chapter 3, God meets Moses in, in this bush that's on fire but not being consumed and calls Moses to be God's instrument to del of delivering Israel from Egypt. Moses is hesitant, uh, if you remember that. Um, and then in chapter 5, Moses and Aaron uh, go to Pharaoh uh, with no plagues or anything and just says, let my people go so that we can worship the Lord in the desert. And Pharaoh scoffs at them and says, who is this Yahweh? Who is this, the, the one you call the Lord? Uh, and, and Pharaoh at that point makes the people's labor all the more difficult, taking away the straw as they're trying to build bricks. And at this point, Moses and the people go to the Lord and like, you're just making life more difficult for us. 
In chapter 6, we hear God's response to Moses where he kind of summarizes what's about to go down. That makes it a really good passage for us as we cover 18 chapters of the book of, Moses, or the book of Exodus. And we're going to read chapter 6, verses 1 through 9. If you're willing, if you're able, I'd invite you to stand as we hear God speak to us this morning. In the word of the Lord, Exodus chapter 6, starting with verse 1. Moses has just returned to the Lord and said, this isn't working. And this is how the Lord responds. Verse 1. Then the Lord said to Moses, now you will see what I will do to Pharaoh. Because of my mighty hand, he will let them go. Because of my mighty hand, he will drive them out of his country. God also said to Moses, I am the Lord. That's the name Yahweh. I appeared to Abraham, to Isaac, and to Jacob as God Almighty. But by my name, the Lord Yahweh, I did not make myself fully known to them. I also established my covenant with them to give them the land of Canaan where they resided as foreigners. Verse 5. Moreover, I have heard the groaning of the Israelites whom the Egyptians are enslaving, and I have remembered my covenant. Therefore, say, say to the Israelites, I am the Lord. And I will bring you out from under the yoke of the Egyptians. I will free you from being slaves to them. And I will redeem you with an outstretched arm and with mighty acts of judgment. I will take you as my own people and I will be your God. Then you will know that I am the Lord your God who brought you out from under the yoke of the Egyptians. And I will bring you to the land I swore with uplifted hand to give to Abraham, to Isaac, and to Jacob. I will give it to you as a possession. I am the Lord. Moses reported this to the Israelites, but they did not listen to him because of their discouragement and harsh labor. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. You may be seated. Will you join me in a word of prayer? Lord God, we, we quiet our hearts before you this morning. And we ask, Lord, that you would open our hearts and our minds and our ears that we might hear from you. And that Holy Spirit, you might speak a word of, of comfort, of encouragement, of challenge. Lord, give us ears to hear and may we be changed more and more into the likeness of your son, Jesus Christ. And it's in his name that we pray all these things. Amen and amen. It was almost 20 years ago. I was a student at Hope College. And right around this time, for many college students, it was fall break. And on that fall break, a, a small group of us Hope College students piled into a 1995 Plymouth Neon and jumped in that car, got on the road, Back to the promised land, Milwaukee, Wisconsin. <laughs> no one calls Wisconsin the promised land except this guy, apparently. But if you're familiar with that journey or that, that, that road, it is I-94 through the city of Chicago, and I've made that journey many, many times. How many of you, uh, particularly young people, do you know what a, a 1995 Plymouth Neon is? Of course not, because they don't exist anymore. None of them have survived this long. Which leads to my next point. On I-94, just outside of Chicago, this 1995 Plymouth Neon began to overheat. 
And us college students didn't know what to do, so we got off the freeway, to, found a gas station, and discovered that the radiator was bone dry. There was a leak in one of the hoses. And here we are in a gas station parking lot in a part of town that you don't really want to break down in. Called AAA and waited. They never came. It was this moment, and, and just a, a little sidebar, I, I bro- I've broken down twice on this journey uh, through Chicago, um, this time in a 1995 Plymouth Neon, and no joke, I'm not making this up, the other time was in a 1995 Dodge Neon, and the clutch just dropped to the floor. No, I can't make that up. But we can kind of chuckle because, you know, having car problems and, and there's a certain level of, of being stuck uh, that uh, has a certain level of, you know, okay, it's, it's, it's hard, uh, but there's a way out. But it began to make me think of other times in life where it's not just we feel stuck, but you actually feel helpless. And what brought, was brought to mind this past week was, was just the, the thousands of families who maybe have lost a home this past week as Hurricane Ian excuse me, came raging through the southwest Florida. Or think of others who, who have gotten to a point of, of a certain health diagnosis or the loss of a family member or, or the change in financial circumstances and you not only feel stuck, but you actually feel helpless. I think about the times in my life, there's, there's not a ton of times where I've felt completely helpless because so often there, there's something I feel like I can do to change my circumstances, but when I face one of those situations where I actually feel stuck, I feel helpless, there's nothing I can do. I don't know about you, but that is such a disorienting place to be. And it's in these seasons, these moments, these circumstances when, when, when we come to God's word with much deeper questions than just what are the details, what happened here? No, 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 no. We come to God's word in these seasons of helplessness, of, of feeling stuck with the deeper questions that matter most. Who is God? Who is God when I read the scriptures? And, and not only that, but what does that actually matter for my circumstances today? Who is this God that we just sang songs to? And those are the two questions that we are going to explore this morning as we consider Exodus chapters 1 through 18. Who is God? And why does it matter for us living here in West Michigan 2,000 plus years after Jesus Christ? The first movement of the story teaches us something about God. Chapters 1 through 4 uh, teaches us something crucially important about who is God. It teaches us about the Lord's compassion. That we worship a God who is compassionate, gracious, and kind. Verse 5 in chapter 6, God reminds Moses that he has heard the groaning of the Israelites and has remembered his covenant. If you remember from a series we went through the book of Exodus this past spring, chapter three, we hear the Lord appears to Moses in this, in this fiery bush, a, a bush that's on fire but it's not consumed and he reveals his name, Yahweh, I am the Lord. We have an echo of that here in chapter six as well. And these are, what God, these are the words of God to Moses in chapter three. He says this, I have indeed seen the misery of my people in Egypt. I have heard them crying out because of their slave drivers and I'm concerned about their suffering. 
You see, friends, these first four chapters in the book of Exodus, this account of Israel and Exodus teaches us something incredibly important, that the Lord has compassion for his suffering people. The Lord has compassion for his suffering people. We see this in the story. Let's talk first about Israel's suffering. The first thing to recognize is that, is that the extent of Israel's suffering was severe. We need to understand how helpless was their situation. Again, to remember, Egypt was, was the most powerful nation in the world. And after 400 years, a new pharaoh has come to power and he turns brutally against the people of Israel who've been growing in number, growing in number. They're, they're outpacing the Egyptians in their, in their reproduction, right? And, and the pharaoh, Air Egypt's pharaoh, sees the people of Israel as this immense threat. And it's all about maintaining control and power for Pharaoh. And so Pharaoh and Egypt force the people into to, to harsh labor that turns into slavery. And now the people of God are enslaved, but the people continue to reproduce and outnumber and outpace the Egyptian people. And, and more needs to be done, says Pharaoh. And so he decides that, that killing Hebrew baby boys would be a way to control the population. And he commands midwives to, to kill baby boys and they refuse. And finally, Pharaoh gets to the point that he commands that all baby boys, Hebrew baby boys, be tossed into the Nile River. Atrocious. Horrendous. Are we feeling the extent of Israel's suffering? And not only that, but do we feel and understand how helpless they must have felt and how hopeless their circumstances were? And so when we read this, this word from Exodus chapter 3, that, that a, a powerful word of hope for people in suffering, we read that God uh, uses these verbs of, of seeing their misery. That God hears, hears their crying. That God is concerned. Actually, the Hebrew there is, is he knows, he knows their suffering. What this teaches us is that God is not distant. He is not removed from this world or from his people. The Lord is moved by the suffering of his people, in fact. Compassion is, is a core of who God is from that series this past spring, Ex Exodus 34, 6 and 7. We might get to that next week. But remember that the Lord, the Lord, compassionate and gracious God, slow to anger, where God describes himself to Moses in the 34th chapter of Exodus. If you remember this, this word, the Lord's compassion, compassionate is the word rechum, and it shares a root with, with the, the Hebrew word for womb, rechem, rechum and rechem. And what that reminds us is, is God can no more ignore the cries of his people than a loving mother can ignore the cries of her own child. Our Lord is a God of compassion. And chapters one through four remind us of this. And we ask, who is God? He's a God of compassion. What does this matter for us? Where does this intersect with our stories? Well, it reminds us that the Lord is moved by our suffering as well. The Lord is moved by our suffering. What a powerful reminder. When we find ourselves, when we find ourselves in moments and seasons of suffering, 
when we find ourselves overcome with, with misery and despair, when we find ourselves at a point where we are desperately crying out to God, Exodus chapters one through four reminds us that there is a God in heaven, the Lord Yahweh, who is compassionate, who sees us, who hears us crying out, who is concerned and knows of our suffering. This movement of scripture reminds us that God is moved by what each of us is going through. What a word of, of hope and comfort. No matter what we're facing, maybe, maybe we're facing a physical reality and limitations and we feel helpless because of, of some health crisis or something that's going on. Maybe, maybe, maybe we think about the families who have lost everything in a hurricane. You're not alone. God hears you. God sees you. God knows what you're going through. Fill in the blank mental or emotional crisis, depression, despair. God's word reassures us. Psalm 34 says the Lord, that Lord is close to the brokenhearted. He saves those who are crushed in spirit. The Lord is compassionate. God cares about our suffering, about your suffering. God is concerned, which is comforting. But it's also important to remember that the story doesn't just end there, right? Because God does something about it. We learn from this passage, this movement of scripture, we learn of the Lord's compassion. But the second thing we learn about this movement of the story is that not only is the Lord one of compassion, but the Lord is also one who is powerful. We learn about the Lord's power. The Lord's power. It's important for us to know that God cares about us, that God is concerned about our suffering, but it's also important to know whether God is able to do anything about our suffering, right? Are you with me? Exodus 1 through 18, this, this movement of scripture retelling the exodus of God's people out of Egypt is an emphatic answer to the question, can God do something about the suffering we face? Yes, he can. In fact, chapter 6, verse 1, the Lord says to Moses, now you will see what I will do to Pharaoh. Because of my mighty hand, he will let them go. Because of my mighty hand, he will drive them out of his country. You see, the Lord gave Moses, or gave Pharaoh, excuse me, a chance to let the people go in chapter five. And what, is, what did Pharaoh do? He scoffed at Moses and Aaron. He says this, who is the Lord? Yahweh. Who is this Yahweh, says Pharaoh, that I should obey him and let Israel go? I don't know Yahweh and I will not let Israel go. In this moment in chapter 5, Pharaoh mocks the Lord, mocks the name of God, Yahweh. Because from Pharaoh's perspective, think about this, Pharaoh is the most powerful man in the world, in the ancient world. So who is this, this God of these two guys, Yahweh? Who is he and what, what difference does that make? I'm Pharaoh, is thinking Pharaoh. But that sets up the next six chapters in the book of Exodus, chapters 5 through 11. We see how the Lord is is no joke, right? That Yahweh, there's this display, this showdown between the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, Yahweh, and Pharaoh, and all the gods of Egypt. The story tells us the Lord's power is on display against Egypt. The Lord's power is on display. 
The chapters that follow, chapters 6 through 11, which include the 10 plagues in Egypt, set up this showdown between the Lord, Yahweh, the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, and Pharaoh, along with all the gods of Egypt. Now, let's touch on what this says about God's power and maybe just a brief word on justice, God's justice. Let's begin with the Lord's power. There's tons of interesting details. You can, I mean, there's several chapters walking through the different plagues with all of these details. Now, we could spend a long time working through all the details and design patterns, get into the 10 plagues, but for the sake of time, there's just one thing I want you to see, maybe two things. That this account of these 10 plagues display the Lord's power over creation and the Lord's power over Pharaoh and all the gods of Egypt. What's happening in these 10 plagues, the river turning to blood with these gnats and these flies and the frogs and then darkness covering the earth. What's happening here is God is demonstrating his power over the created world. That the Lord, Yahweh, has, cre- has power over the whole creation, over the chaotic waters, the sun, the weather, the animals, and even life itself. God has power over creation. Why? Because God is the Lord, the one who created all things. And the moment, and God only not only created all things, but God is the one who sustains all things. And the moment God removes his hand from this created order, things begin to fall apart. That is what the plagues are all testifying to, the God's power over creation. And furthermore, it testifies to God's power over Pharaoh and these so-called gods of Egypt. There are these showdowns where the magicians can do some of the things, but eventually the magicians, Pharaoh's magicians, run out. They can't do anymore. And the other interesting fact is that all these 10 plagues actually correspond to different Egyptian gods. And so there's a lot being declared in these 10 plagues. I told you there's a lot you can get into. But God has power over creation and God is more powerful than Pharaoh and all the gods of Egypt. Now a quick aside on the 10 plagues to talk about God's justice. This is going to be a question that we're going to wrestle with throughout this story particularly as the people of God enter the promised land. How do, we, how, do, how do we reconcile these stories of God's judgment or justice? We think about these 10 plagues, and, and, and particularly modern audiences, we have a hard time with the 10 plagues and the, the people of Egypt suffering, particularly uh, the 10th and final plague, the death of the firstborn. It's a hard question. And, and I don't want to just gloss over it. Like it's hard and it's something we should wrestle with. Um, But remember, the 10 plagues, think about this, as we think about God's justice, and we think about God's patience. God gave Pharaoh 10 opportunities to change his mind, to change his heart, to soften his heart, and to listen and to let these people go from slavery. And 10 times, Pharaoh's like, nope, nope, oh, yep, nope, I changed my mind, right? 10 opportunities, long-suffering patience with this enemy nation. And then, what did, and then here's the other thing. We have, we have this final plague, and, and I'm not saying that this reconciles or answers all the questions, but, but what did Pharaoh do to the people of God at the beginning of the book of Exodus? He brutally murdered the firstborn sons of the people of God. And so in this twist, what Pharaoh did to the people of God would then be done to his people. I'm not saying that answers all the questions. It's still difficult, and we're going to continue to wrestle with that throughout the story. But these are divine acts of judgment against evil. 
You see, Pharaoh is, is the worst, the most evil person that we've been introduced so far to in the story. And all of this is to remind us that the Lord, Yahweh, is more powerful than all the powers, whether physical, spiritual, on this earth. What this story tells us is that the Lord is powerful. The Lord is able. And here's where it intersects with our story. It intersects with our story. The Lord is able to deliver us from all, from all things in this world. Exodus reminds us that the Lord Yahweh has power over all things in this world. He was even more powerful than the greatest ancient world power in Egypt. Our God is able. Whatever, whatever might have us stuck right now, God has power to deliver us. God is able to restore. God is able to rescue. God is able to deliver. God is more powerful than any power or nation in this world. God is more powerful than any individual person in our lives. God is more powerful than any illness or disease. God is more powerful than any storm that can swipe through a nation. God is able. He has power over heaven and earth, over all of creation, even death itself. And so when we think about what we might be going through, we must look at God's word and be like, God can deliver us. Both of these truths are important. The Lord's compassion and the Lord's power. Both of these truths are so important as we think about who is God God is, is the Lord of compassion. God is also a God of power, right? Both are crucial for what our next point is, salvation. Because listen to this, compassion without power cannot save. Because if, if someone is compassionate, you might care so deeply, but if you don't have the ability or the resources to do anything about it, you can't help someone in need. Compassion with power cannot save. But here on the flip side, power without compassion will not save. Because you can have all the power to make a difference in the world and yet if you don't care about the people who are suffering, you're not gonna do a thing about it. God's compassion and God's power are both so important for this next thing that this passage teaches us which is about the Lord's salvation the Lord's salvation. See, the Lord saves God's people. And it may not be on, on their timeline, it may not be according to their plans, but salvation comes. The Lord's salvation comes. Here in Exodus chapter six, what we read together, what I wanna do is just point out the different verbs in the first person. These are God's words to the Israelites and this is what he commands Moses to say on behalf of the Lord to the Israelites, just highlighted in yellow. I will bring you out. I will free you. I will redeem you. I will take you as my own people. I will be your God. I will bring you. I will give it to you. All of these verbs describing what God will do to rescue and deliver God's people. And I think they all can be summed up in one word that comes later on, the word salvation. The word salvation. As we think about what is this passage, what does this movement of scripture teach us about God, it teaches us that the Lord's salvation is grace received by faith. The Hebrew word for salvation is uh, the Hebrew word Yeshua. You wanna say that with me? Yeshua, Yeshua. It's first used in the book of Exodus here in Exodus 14 verse 13. And it's used right as the people are standing on the banks of the Red Sea. 
Pharaoh's army is bearing down on them and they're like, help, what do we do? And this is what the Lord says to the people through Moses. Moses answered the people, do not be afraid, stand firm and you will see the Yeshua, the salvation the Lord will bring you today. The Egyptians you see today, well, you will never see again. The Lord will fight for you. You only need to be still. This final word in the, the I mean, this is the climactic moment of, of the exodus of God's people where they're about to cross through the Red Sea on dry ground. Right, passing through the chaotic waters and Pharaoh's army is gonna be swallowed up and in this moment it teaches us something powerful about the Lord's salvation that God's salvation is all grace. It's all grace. And what God asks of us is to believe, asks for faith and, and, and that re- that's a different response, right? But let's start with grace. Israel's salvation is all by the power of God. Only the Lord could rescue and deliver them, right? It was an act of pure grace. And the miraculous events described drive that point home. Because guess what? Hundreds of thousands of slaves don't just waltz out of the most powerful nation on planet Earth without some sort of intervention. Can I get an amen? Like that doesn't happen. No, God delivered them. It was an act of his power uh, being compelled by his compassion that led toward their salvation. But throughout this story, God is asking for the people to respond in faith, right? What the Lord asks of the people is to believe. And faith compelled the people in different ways. If you remember the the last night while they're in Egypt, this last plague of the the firstborn, it's called Passover, right? And if you're not familiar with the story, a a lamb, a perfect unblemished lamb was slaughtered and the blood of that lamb was was painted on the door frames of the houses of the people of God. And that was a signal to the angel of death to pass over that house and to spare the life of the firstborn. So faith compelled them the last night in Egypt to to do this Passover and God was faithful. Faithful. But but I love here on the banks of of the Red Sea, what did faith compel them? Be still. There's nothing more for you to do at this point. Just be still until the waters parted and they were called to walk through on dry ground. The people's job, though, is to believe. So as we think about the Lord's salvation, which is grace received by faith, how does that intersect with our stories today? Our story's salvation remains an act of God that we receive in faith. It's an act of God that we receive in faith. Salvation is God's work of grace as we consider those moments, those seasons of suffering in our lives, right? It's important to recognize God's salvation. Now, here's, here's a little thing. When we hear the word salvation, uh, as Christians, we often think of a spiritual reality in the life to come. But this Hebrew word, Yeshua, had, had ramifications for the here and now, right? So when we think about our own circumstances where, where we are suffering or we feel stuck or we feel helpless and, and God's word reminds us that, that God is compassionate, that God is powerful, he's able to save us and deliver us. Here's, here's what this reminds us though, is that even when we're in those circumstances, sometimes God work of grace, of salvation, of rescue, of deliverance, of what we're going through might not always be in our timing. 
Think about the people of God in, in Egypt. I think they would have appreciated God coming in and rescuing them sooner. It may, and, and for us, it might not, not only not be in, God's, in, our, in, God, in our timing, but it might also not be through our preferred means. The people of God in, in, in Egypt, like, what, do you, what is all these 10 plagues? Like, just get us out of here now. God's ways are higher than our ways. And so when we think about being stuck or being in those situations where we feel helpless, it, it might not come in our timing and it might not come by our preferred means. And in fact, any of us who've, who've lived any amount of life on this broken world, sometimes what we're longing for doesn't come at all. And yet God calls us to have faith. I think about almost 20 years ago when me and some friends broke down just outside of Chicago. And for us, in that moment, as we were standing in this parking lot waiting for AAA to come, what faith meant for us was talking to a man by the name of James. And this man, James, had no real reason to, to spend two hours with us, but he did. And we talked, and in hindsight, looking like, realizing that this James was kind of looking out for us, and we didn't even know it because we were just too ignorant of, of what was going on. So faith just meant talking with a guy named James, and, and rescue didn't come from AAA because they never showed up, but in, instead rescue came as a nice police officer saw us there and helped us get some water in the in the radiator, I was trying to think of what that word was. I'm not a car guy. Put some water in the radiator and the police officer escorted us to a repair shop just south of the freeway. But I think about those other circumstances that leave us, leave us desperate, leave us waiting, leave us crying, leave us pleading with God for rescue. What does it mean to live by faith in those moments? And, and I don't have a blanket answer for that. Because sometimes living in faith in those moments is, is God calling us to cooperate with him. And there's other times where living by faith leaves us nothing but waiting for deliverance. And sometimes those circumstances that we face in this life, the deliverance that we're praying for, the deliverance that we're hoping for, never comes. And that's heartbreaking and that's hard. But as those who follow Jesus Christ, even in those seasons, when the deliverance we're, we're longing for doesn't come, we have hope because of Jesus Christ. We have hope because of Jesus Christ. Because there is still a salvation that will come because God deals in not just the here and now, but the forever and the eternal. So as we close our time together, we've been, throughout this series, we've been trying to find those threads in the story that lead to Jesus because we believe the Bible is a unified story that leads to Jesus, those threads that weave through the story. And we think about, we think about Jesus. There, there's, there's power because of who Jesus is. Remember that, that name, Yeshua? Say that with me, Yeshua. Sounds a lot like Joshua. Sounds a lot like Jesus. It's the name of Jesus. It's Yeshua. 
God saves. And so we're thinking about a thread in this story that leads to Jesus. The name for salvation leads us right to the feet of Jesus. And then, of course, this moment of Passover where this unblemished lamb is, is killed to spare the lives of God's people. We remember that Jesus Christ, during his earthly ministry, that final week of his life was what week? Passover week. And Jesus Christ became the perfect unblemished lamb who was killed. And his blood covers each and every one of us. And the words of John the Baptist in John chapter one become true. Look, the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. Friends, this is our salvation. This is our hope. And for some of us, Lord, some of us, we're, we're in situations, we're in seasons where, where we're crying out to God. And I would just say, know that God hears you. Know that God has power to save you. And, and, and even in the midst of feeling stuck and waiting, know that God has a plan for life for you. And we pray for that life to come here and now, but we know and we trust that that life will come one day when Jesus Christ comes again. Friends, this is our salvation. This is our hope. The perfect Lamb of God who died, whose blood was shed for our forgiveness. May we remember, may we believe, and may we follow our Lord in faith, knowing he is compassionate, powerful, and good, and he has come to save and deliver. Will you join me in a word of prayer? Lord God, we thank you for your word. We thank you, God, for this account of your people being rescued out of bondage. And Lord, we thank you for, for how this Exodus story has, has become a, a story of hope and life for so many generations of Christ followers who find themselves in the midst of bondage and slavery. Lord, for, for so many who are stuck, this story has become a rallying cry of hope because, Lord, you are a God who, who cares, who is concerned, who knows our suffering, and who has power to deliver us. Lord, may this give us hope in the midst of our waiting and our longing and our crying. And, Lord, may we find ultimately our hope in the name of Jesus Christ who has set us free from the bondage of sin that has enslaved us, that has held us captive. And Lord, we have the promise of life because of what, Lord Jesus, the Lamb of God, you have done on our behalf. We thank you for this hope. We thank you for this word. We pray all this in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. I invite you to stand as we sing our closing song. Soul could heal. 
Our shame was deeper than the sea. Your grace is deeper still. Who, oh Lord, could save themselves? Their own soul could heal. Our shame was deeper than the sea. Your grace is deeper still. You alone can rescue. You alone can save. You alone can lift us from the grave. You came down to find us, led us out of death. To you alone belongs the highest praise. You, O Lord, have made a way. The great divide you heal. From when our hearts were far away, your love went further still. Yes, your love goes further still. You alone can rescue. You alone can save. You alone can lift us from the grave. You came down to find us, led us out of death. To you alone belongs the highest praise. To you alone belongs the highest praise. We lift up our eyes, lift up our eyes, you're the giver of life. Lift up our eyes, lift up our eyes, you're the giver of life. We lift up our eyes, lift up our eyes, you're the giver of life. We lift up our eyes, lift up our eyes, you're the giver of life. You alone can rescue, you alone can save, you alone can lift us from the grave you came down to find us led us out of death to you alone belongs the highest praise to you alone belongs the highest praise to you alone belongs the highest praise reminder we'll have some coffee some donuts out this way but don't eat too many donuts because we're going to have a picnic at tunnel park and uh, come join uh, for that time of fellowship all three worshiping communities this should be uh, a riot and we got some we got some beautiful weather today amen beautiful weather and uh as i was just just singing that song and i don't know what you might be going through today um, but let me just read these words again from exodus 14 Moses answered the people, do not be afraid. Stand firm and you will see the salvation of the Lord will bring you today. 
The Egyptians you see today, you'll never see again. Whatever you're facing will be no more. The Lord will fight for you. You need only be still. And uh, when we feel helpless, when we feel stuck, waiting is really hard. But sometimes it's in the waiting when we finally calm ourselves and still our hearts is when we can finally hear God speak that word that we need to hear. And so I don't know what you're facing. Maybe you feel stuck today. Maybe you feel helpless. Be still and know that God is God and he's got you, he cares for you, he loves you. As you go from here, receive God's blessing. May the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, the love of God the Father, and the fellowship of the Holy Spirit be with you all now and forevermore. God's people say, amen. Go in peace. You alone can rescue, you alone can save, you alone can lift us from the grave. You came down to find us, let us out of death.